and it's the first time I've been in a public setting with her in your leading worship, and I was just having these dad moments. I remember she was born premature, born two months in ICU, and I remember going to ICU every day and holding this little thing that weighed 970 grams in my hands and, and, and singing over her. And now to, to see her up front just leading us in worship, what a, and giving her to the Lord there, and now seeing the Lord taking that which we gave. It's beautiful. Well done, my girl. You did well. I, this morning, uh, just as I was, I actually had a word prepared yesterday for this morning, and I forwarded it to Mark, and I think they got the AV ready. And then this morning I woke up, thanks, Mark, and just felt the Lord say, no, 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 you're presuming something that I'm not in. And, uh, and so I wrote uh, and put together a new preach this morning that I think is uh, specifically for you as a church. Uh, and the, the title of the preach is, Did You Receive the Spirit? Did You Receive the Spirit? And we're going to start in our Bibles together, and I'm going to try and dig into this concept of, uh, it is indirectly what I'm speaking about, um, the yoke that's upon mankind and how God came to not only lift it, but to deliver us, to free us from the yoke um, that's on us. And so in Acts 19, verse 1 to 2, it'll come up on the board, we can read it together. So Paul, it, it happened that while at Apollos, uh, sorry, that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the island country, inland country, just my language, and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. So Paul's traveling, he comes to the city of Ephesus, and there he finds a bunch of Christians, disciples. These are followers of the Lord. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. It's a profound thing. And so later on, he prays with them, and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and um, they begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. And it's a profound moment in their lives, because while they are believers, and obviously there's a sense of them meeting together as Christians, they haven't yet got the fullness of God's plan worked its way out in them. They haven't yet got all the ingredients they need to ultimately be what God wants them to be. And, and God uh, wants, uh, uh, coming, bringing, no. last night I'm in front of like 3,000, like, anyway, I'm getting tongue-tied. But anyway, so believers, one of the key things is this, God is so desperate to bring us into uh, everything that he's got for us. He made each one of us with such love and such purpose. And uh, the challenge is, without the fullness of his help, we actually can never be what he wants us to be. It's impossible. And I want to dig into that with you this morning to show you how God is going to save and how ultimately we need the Holy Spirit's help to save us. And one of the, the big warnings that I read about uh, in the book of uh, 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, Paul the Apostle is writing, and he's really writing to a young man. Paul's about to actually die. He knows that. And so he's, in a sense, giving his last words to one of his young leaders that's worked with him, a guy called Timothy. And Paul says something quite profound. You can put it up. He says, but mark this or understand this. In the last days, there will be terrible times. And this says times of great difficulty. Um, and it says, um, really, as Paul looked forward from his generation towards ours, he said it's actually going to be terrible then. 
And he begins to give this list of things that are going to creep into Christianity that will ultimately water her down, dilute her, and cause her to even be falsified, that there would be a false Christianity that would begin to seep in, and the prosperity, you know, lovers of money, lovers of self, all these different things would start to come in to the Christian church, and it would be a false form of what God intended all along. And then he ends this long list, and I'm just going to do the last one to, uh, in this session. And in 2 Timothy 3 verse 5, the last that he mentions, having a form or the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. In other words, there'll be a kind of Christianity at the end that has an appearance, it has a form, it, it looks like Christianity, but it doesn't have the power that it needs. It denies the power of God to do what God can do. And so you'll end up with a, a shell without the actual life force to make that thing living and alive. And I think coming from South Africa, this is very, very real to us because I grew up in a Christian home with Christian values, and we went to a Christian church my whole life. And we, uh, you know, I grew up in a traditional church, and there was a sense of, you know, I knew the whole, the whole program, I knew how it went. My dad did door duty, uh, he did the books for the church. But I can honestly say, when I was 20 years of age, after having gone off the rails, I encountered Jesus properly for the first time. And I remember going back to the church and going, I, w I grew up in you. How come you never told me about these things? Why did you never introduce me to the things that are so clear in the Bible? And uh, my mom and dad took about 10 years. And my dad, I mean, eventually they also uh, came, actually, even though they had a form of religion, they had a form of Christianity, 10 years into my faith, my dad sat me down and said, I don't know Jesus, and I realize you do. I mean, he, he brought me up in the church. He read Bible stories to me every night. I saw him praying every night on his knees, every day, every night. And after 10 years, he looks at me as a young man, and he says, I don't know Jesus, but I can see you do. And I led him and my mom to the Lord, and we baptized them. And my dad is now with the Lord, and my mom is part of the church that they've left uh, in Melbourne Strand. And... Um, is in that congregation, this, this form of religion, this form of Christianity, but a denying of the power therein. And the word in the Greek for power, it's a, it's a lovely word, and we're going to dig into it as we go down. The word is dunamis, where we get the word dynamite from. Dynamite is obviously taken from that Greek word, um, and it means like what you would think dynamite does. Dynamite changes an impossible situation. There's a rock mountain that we can't get through. You stick some holes in it, you put dynamite in, and the mountain goes kaboom, and the impossible happens. Dynamite can do what we can't do. Um, and, so, um, and so this picture of there'll be a Christianity without this kind of power, without this life-transforming power that changes everything when the believer encounters God this way. Um, and so this is really what proper salvation is, and I, and I need to maybe dig into what it means to be truly saved, because to give you the background, obviously, to salvation, we know that God made the world, and He made Adam and Eve, He made us, humans, in His image and in His likeness. In other words, when the first man was made, they were like Him in every way. As God is holy, they were holy. As God acted, they acted. There was a sense that they were mirrors or copies of God himself. There was nothing in them that was evil or selfish or self-centered. They were entirely loving as he is loved. They were uh, humble as he is humble. They were, uh, it was this beautiful man and woman. And then we know that Satan came into the garden and, um, 
and he, he corrupted, he basically led Adam and Eve to turn against God. And one of the most profound things he said to them is, if you eat of the fruit that God says you can't eat of, you will actually be like God. You'll have the knowledge of good and evil within yourself. You'll define morality, number one. And number two, you'll be like him. You won't need God. You won't need God. You could actually do this without him because a God is able to self-sustain and um, in some ways can do you know, what God can do. And so the, the, the thing that crept into Adam and Eve in sin was this. I can actually do my life without him. That's really what it came down to. I can live the way I need to live without God. Um, and uh, I'll do it on my own. And so the problem is you can't, we can't do it on our own. There's something called sin, and sin is actually turning away from God. And as soon as we turn away from Him, we no longer like Him. And so we start to see humans becoming ugly. We see wars and hatred and rape and murder. We're just chatting with folks come down from Gauteng, you know, armed robberies. We see man being man. And it, actually man, even good man, God says is a terrible thing. Because God looks from a perfect perspective. So our standards are quite low because we live among scum. So you, you, you know, if, so you, you, you know, if you, so you kind of measure around those, you go, those guys are really bad, but I'm not that bad. I'm actually quite a good person. But the problem is the measuring stick is now so low that even us that think we're doing quite well are actually quite rotten. So God says, as he looks at the earth, there is no one righteous, no, not even one. All have turned away and together become Worthless. In other words, from, from a true God, holy perspective, as he looks at every human being that's ever lived, there's never, ever been a human being from God's perspective that's been good. And he would say it like this. Jesus would say, well, if you look at a woman with lust, you commit adultery with her. Whoops. If you say, Raka, you fool, to the taxi driver that pulled in front of you, you've murdered him. Whoops. And so God is not like that. And what God's trying to show us is, actually that we are not like him and that we need him but we deep down inside think we can do this thing even this christian thing without him and so what god does is he comes to man and he tries to show man you can't and this is how he does it the whole old testament that's the point of the whole old testament god basically comes to people and he says okay i want to i want to fix this mess because i love even though it's a mess i love you i love i love the world but the only way i can help you is if i can if you'll let me because if I had to try and Mark's a builder, if I had to come to Mark and say, Mark, you know when you're building that house, I really don't think that this is the way you should be doing it, and I start giving him advice. If he thinks he knows what he's doing, he is going to ignore my advice and just do what he thinks he should do, because he thinks, well, I know how to do this. And so even when God comes to us, until we realize how much we need him, we invariably fall back on, no, but I can do this, but I can do this. And so until God shows us that we absolutely can't, we don't even reach out to him for help. And so what God does in the Old Testament, he's very sneaky. He chooses the people, Israel, Israel, and he says, okay, I'm going to choose you, and you're going to be the guys that are going to showcase my salvation, how I'm going to do this. And so this one nation is brought out, children of Abraham. And then he says to them, I'm going to give you my law. I'm going to give you right and wrong from my perspective. And I'm giving it to you externally. I'm a, Moses goes up on a mountain. God writes with his finger on a rock. And Moses comes down and you can all read what the rock tells you. Do not do this. 
do this, don't do this. And, and what God's effectively doing is he's saying this, to be honest, he's actually saying this. This is what I want you to look like. Good luck. Good luck. But humans in their pride think, oh, we could do that. It's not that hard. Surely we could pull that off. Surely we can be good. And so Israel strives to obey the law. But the point of the law is that you're supposed to fail. The point of the law is to show Israel it can't. And so Israel has like a long time. They say the law probably came around the, I think it was 1500 BC, so 1,500 years before Jesus came. And Israel has 1,500 years, generation upon generation to generation to generation, to try and get it right. And if you go and read the Old Testament, it's pretty depressing. Because no one really gets it right. Even David is one of these standouts, like this guy's a cool guy, and he goes and murders one of his best friends because he likes his wife. There's no one righteous. In 2,000 or 1,500 years of God, of people who have the law now and they're trying to obey it, no one is righteous. And in fact, they're so unrighteous that at their prime, and I would argue Israel thought when Jesus came, they were getting it better than they've ever got it in their history. They've got no idols. They've got no high places. They're reckoning the Messiah is about to come, man. We've got rabbis, teachers teaching us. Our children are growing up in their Bible, their little Sunday schools. It's like, man, we're ready for the Messiah. And then he comes. And that generation crucified their God. And you go, it is, a, it is literally God saying, okay, that's, how I want, that's what goodness looks like. Good luck. And Israel fails dismally. And in fact, to be honest, it's not like they're worse than us, because we would have failed dismally. And the Bible tells us this. It actually says this in Romans 8. Oh, I've got too much here. Uh, just a verse. I've got 3 to 10, but that's too much. For what the law was powerless to do, that part. For what the law was powerless to do. Listen to this. So here's the law. Here's the law. Bang. You know, do this, don't do that. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. In other words, the Lord tells you how to live, but it doesn't help you get there, and, and it's actually powerless to help you. And actually, for us, our human nature, our sin nature, means that it actually doesn't help us at all. It actually condemns us. That's all it does. And so what it was powerless and weak to do, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering and so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Leave that up for me. All right. So what the law couldn't do, because it is weakened by me, my nature, my humanity, God did. And he did a few things. First, he sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus, the perfect, he lived as God the perfect life that we should have lived. And then when he died on the cross, he died perfectly innocent. The only man who ever lived that could say, I'm righteous, is God in the form of a man. And he dies, and when he dies as a sin offering, finally, he who is perfect pays for an imperfect world. The price is paid because God demands perfection. And so Jesus is a fulfillment of the law and that all the animals and the things that they just sacrificed for their sins couldn't really save them. But now a Savior has come. 
and, uh, and uh, he's a sin offering. And so, in some ways, he destroys the sin. He kills the sin in, in sinful man so that the righteous requirements of the law might now finally be fully met in us. And then it gives another key. Who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the, sin off, uh, to the Spirit. In other words, okay, there's two keys here. The one is what Jesus did, dying on the cross, and in doing that, actually making us holy. For the first time, by faith, we can come to God. And because Jesus has died for everything I've done and everything you've done, there's now no longer condemnation for us. It's as, though, it's as though because he paid for everything I've done, I don't have anything to fear. And I can come in and actually be considered righteous by God. But then there's something else. He says the Spirit is going to come. And as he leads you, you're actually going to become just like the very thing I've made you. And so the Spirit comes, and this is now the power of God starting to move, to actually bring about salvation. And salvation isn't just I believe in Jesus. Salvation is that I'm actually restored to being like Jesus. Um, and so, let me see where I am. So what the law was powerless to do, God did. And we see this in Hebrews 10 verse 1. The law was only a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never by sacrifice. So the law just pointed to what God was going to do. And Jesus came and ultimately fulfilled so how does that work? How does this salvation that God, this salvation that's going to change us, not just give us forgiveness, but also change us by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can actually start to be like God? In other words, in other words, we can never by ourselves be like God. We need God's help firstly to forgive us, and then we're going to need God's help to actually change us. And this is the difference between a form of religion and true religion. A form is we try outwardly, we go to church, we give our tithes, we do all those different things, but it's something that I try and do by myself. That's not true salvation. True salvation is God does something in me. God works in me. I can't do this by myself. And this is seen beautifully in a number of stories. One of the stories is a, is a, a Jewish man called Nicodemus. And we'll, we'll see this in John chapter 3. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, a Pharisee. And John, says, John 3 verse 3. Now there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. This guy in Israel is like, man, he's like almost the Pope. I mean, he's, he's one of the Pharisees, which are a very strict group within Judaism or Israel. And, and these guys are really striving to try and make sure that they're making right with God. And he's also a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's one of 70 men that oversees the righteousness of the whole nation of Israel. This is, this is a highly respected man. And everyone in Israel would have thought this guy is a deeply righteous man. And he comes to Jesus and he asked Jesus a question, basically, how, how, how is a man saved? How is a man right with God? What, what do we have to do? And most Jews would have thought, well, if anyone's right with God, he is. I mean, he's like devout, he's, his marriage is solid, his kids are solid, everything's working. He's a leader in the faith community. He's, he's it. He's devoted to his church at the time. He is it. 
And Jesus said in John 3 verse 7, you must be born again. And this is, this is hang on, so this is basically what he does. Hang on a minute. I don't understand. What do you mean I've got to be born again? I mean, I, I was born once, but how do I get born a second time? And Jesus says, and I'm paraphrasing, unless you're born of water and born, which is your first birth, and born of the Holy Spirit, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, and the spirit gives birth to spirit. In other words, from your own strength, you can only give birth to that which comes from your strength. You can't give birth to what I'm looking for. But only the Spirit, remember we read earlier, the Spirit, those who are led by the Spirit. The Spirit's going to come, the Holy Spirit, and He's going to do something in you. And when you're born of the Holy Spirit, when He comes, and it's like a new birth experience, when He comes and lives inside of you, everything will change. And now your salvation won't be based on, okay, there's what you should look like, good luck going for it. Actually, it'll be me coming into you and helping you become that. And so listen to this. In Hebrews 10, verse 14 and 17, we see how this power works. And it really is the power of God starting to come into humanity. And this is what salvation is, according to Jesus. This is how you're truly saved. Um, all right. Remember in the Old Testament, God wrote on what? Stone tablets with his finger. External from us. And then showed us the rock and said, good luck. But now he's going to do something different through the new covenant. And it's this. Again, the sacrifice, by one sacrifice, he's made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy, Jesus has paid the price in full for us. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant. This is this new covenant that I will make with people at that time, says the Lord. Then he says this, I will put my laws in their hearts. And I will write them. On their minds. So, pause. In the old covenant, God went up a mountain, got a rock, and he wrote his laws on a rock. That was powerless. It didn't help us. It just showed us what we should live like. God says, if you're born again, if you're born of the Spirit, I'm going to bring about salvation, and it's going to be a powerful experience. Because like Moses went up a mountain, and it was a pretty powerful experience, this is going to be far greater. I'm actually going to come to everyone who believes properly and who's born again, and I'm actually going to write into their heart, and I'm going to write into their mind what my righteousness is really like. In other words, I'm not going to just show you it. I'm going to carve it into you. What does that look like? I came to church 20 years of age. I lived for surfing. I actually lived for pleasure. I was sexually immoral. I was doing drugs. I was in the occult. And I arrived at a church absolutely sinful. And I heard the gospel preached, and I believed. And I remember responding and saying, Jesus, I need to be saved. I realized for the first time at 20 years of age, I thought I was actually doing quite well even then because the standard's not that high, you see. <laughs> I was a good drug addict. <laughs> it's amazing how we do that. And it was in that moment that something happened. And, and that's, I was born again. I know I was born again. Because standing in the front of a church saying, Jesus, 
please forgive me and come and live inside of my heart. I changed in a moment. It was the God who had made Adam, the God who had made the universe. It was as though, and he literally did, it wasn't as though he did this. He reached down somehow. I didn't see him doing it, but I felt what he was doing. And he changed my heart. And he changed my mind. And I walked out of that church different. I was so different that one of my friends, who's now an elder in one of our congregations, I arrived home and he was rolling a joint of marijuana on the floor of our house. And as I walked in, he looked at my face. He did not go into church and he said, what happened to you? I said, why? He said, your face has changed. Your eyes are different. Jesus had written something by the Spirit into me. And I was different. I was born again. I was born of the Holy Spirit. And it was as radical encounter, even though I was 20, as it was when I was born the first time. It was a refund. I can tell you I was changed in a moment. I couldn't do the things I used to do anymore. I didn't want to. Suddenly drugs and sex, and I mean sex still had an attractiveness to it, but I, I loved him more, and I began to turn away from those things because God had written his law into me, and he was changing me. He was changing me from the inside out. He goes on. You can put it up. And then he says, he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. These people that have had this encounter, God says, even if you fail, I'm not going to remember your failings. Because I've written my spirit, I've written my righteousness into you as a person. You're born again of the Holy Spirit. So, to be so saved means literally that this is what's happened to you. It, it's... It, you will know. If you grew up in the church, doesn't, you, you, you could be Nicodemus. You couldn't be a really good church member. The Germany knows you by name and loves the fact. But if you're not born again, Jesus said you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. All right. So this is pretty radical, actually. And this is the words of Jesus. And, and it really is that salvation is a work of power. Dunamos. The Bible says in the end times, there'll be a form, come to meetings, sing your songs, there's a form, but there won't be that kind of power, and that's a false Christianity. You got that? There's no dynamite. I tell you right now, if I lit dynamite in this hall, there would be some responses. It wouldn't be church as normal. Would you agree with me? Things change when dynamite goes kaboom. And this is what it is when God is moving by His Spirit. Lives go kaboom. Somebody walks in a certain way, kaboom. They meet God and everything is different. Marriages come in a certain way, kaboom. God comes and lives in them by His Spirit. He writes His Word. He writes His ways into them. And they do not leave the same. This is the power of God unto salvation. And so this is such a powerful thing that Jesus actually said, sorry, Jesus actually said in John 16, verse 7, um, and this is profound for me. When Jesus was on the earth, I mean, I kind of would have loved to have been a disciple, wouldn't you? Imagine he called you and you wanted even just 120 following him around. Like you go to sleep and you look across the fire as it's getting dark and there he lies. And you know when, and you know when, he, when next morning I'm going to be up before him because if he says anything, I don't want to miss it. And I'm sitting waiting as he wakes up, just looking at him. 
I want to watch how he... I want, to, I want to watch everything. I don't want to miss everything about him. And, and then the same Jesus that was with these guys for three years, every day, says this. It's better for you that I go away. And I must confess, I think they probably felt like I would. What are you saying? How can it be better for us if you're not here? He says, because if I don't go the counselor won't come. That's the Holy Spirit, capital C. If I do go away, he will come because I will send him to you. What Jesus is effectively saying is this. I am not yet in you. You haven't actually been changed properly. You're seeing how I'm living. You're seeing what God lives if God was a man. You're seeing my actions. You're seeing the power. And even at times you're enjoying parts of it. But I haven't yet completed this work. And I'm bound in the body of a man. So I'm in one place at one time. But when I go, I'm going to send the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And he's not bound in a body like I am while I'm on the earth. And he's going to come and live in you. And he's going to take, he's of the same spirit as me. He's going to take all the things that I am. And he's going to actually carve them into you. You will actually become a temple of the Holy Spirit, a place in which God himself will come and live. Do you know salvation is a pretty big deal? I'm right, I, I need to skip something. I'm taking too long. Is this making sense? So I'm gonna, let me see if I want to skip this. So, and in 2 Peter 1, I'm going to skip that next section. 2 Peter 1, verse 3 to 4, we see how the Holy Spirit, when He comes, is going to actually act. And it says, His divine, what word? Dunamus is the exact word. His divine power. Let me see if I actually should just read something before this. Uh, I'll leave it there. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need to be what God wants you to be, He's now provided by His power through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. All right. By which He has granted us His precious and very great promises. Okay, so God says by His power He's come, He's lived in us, and now He's given us, granted us His precious and very great promises so that through the promises that He's given us, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. God says, I'm going to write my own law into you. And through the promise that I've now made with you, you're going to escape that old you, that old flesh. And I'm going to cause you to actually start to participate in, share in my divine nature. If you're a Christian, people should be able to look at you and go, oh, is that what God's like? Because you're starting to reveal what He's like because He's written by the Spirit, into you, His nature. But do you understand for this to happen, it starts off with His divine power. 
His divine power. We need this power. Do you know the Nobel Peace Prize? Do you know where it comes from? A guy called Alfred Nobel. Do you know what he invented? Dynamite. <laughs> it changed the world. Dunamus. God's dunamus in you is going to be the thing that changes everything. And so when we started, we started in Acts 19 too. Paul meets these Christians, and they believe in Jesus. But he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive him who will give you power when you believe? And they went, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Surely we believed in Jesus, that's enough. He says, no, belief in Jesus isn't enough by itself to always change you inside. When I go, Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He will come and he will convict you of sin. He will lead you in righteousness. He will guide you. He will take the words of God and he'll give you. He will be the one who will be your companion and he is the one who will ultimately carve righteousness into you as you remain in him. And so in Acts 1 verse 8, quickly, Jesus speaking to the apostles now, and this is after they've seen him raised from the dead, they all believe. They're like, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I saw him raised from the dead. I've, I followed him for three years. I heard all his teachings. I believe them all. And I've even seen him raised from the dead. I've even eaten with him. This is what the experience is, okay? And then Jesus says, stay in Jerusalem. And you will receive dunamus when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus provided one way, the opening the door for salvation on the cross. He meant that anyone who believes in him would have their sins forgiven because none of us is perfect. And because our sins are forgiven, we then are considered holy by God. And because we then considered holy by God, God himself can come and live inside of us. And so God sends the Spirit who comes and lives inside of us. And as he comes in, he carves the nature of God into my heart and into my mind. And that'll change you. That'll change you in a moment. You won't be the same. Because dynamite happens in your heart and in your mind. It blows your mind. And so the question then is quickly, and I'm going to finish this just now. How, so how do we receive this? Holy Spirit, because they were kept asking, did you receive? Did you receive? And I would ask you, have you received the Holy Spirit? Is your faith resting in the power of God? Paul said, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with wise and persuasive words, but with power, dunamis, with power, with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he says, actually, that's how you know the gospel came to you properly. When I came to you, I didn't come with wise and eloquent words. I came to you with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. What's conviction? God writing something into you, and in that moment, you're going, dear God, I didn't even know that it was offensive to you. But you're writing your law into my heart. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. So how do we receive this Holy Spirit? And there's really two ways. I mean, again, God's a person and we're individuals, so it kind of can get a bit messy. But basically, it's like this. In Acts 10, verse 44 to 46, you'll remember the story. I won't go there. Simon Peter is invited to a bunch of Gentiles. These are not Jews. At, up until this point, everyone thinks only Jews are going to be saved. 
And then Peter gets invited to a house. And there's a whole lot of Gentiles sitting there. Gentiles as us. We're those that aren't descended from Abraham. And he starts telling them the gospel because he feels God's told him to do that. And while he's telling them about Jesus, they start speaking in tongues and prophesying. And he's like, what? For him, when he sees a demonstration of the Spirit's power, the dunamis, he realizes they saved. They saved. He goes back to Jerusalem and there's a big uproar. You hung out with Gentiles? They're unclean. They're horrible creatures. I was in Israel a few years ago, and I literally remember going to a bathroom at the Wailing Wall, which is where all the really righteous Jews go. And I went to the Wailing Wall, and it was just amazing and sad to see these devout Jews crying out to God. But at one point, I went to the bathroom, and in the bathroom, I was washing my hands. And a serious Jew came, and he had the sideburns and the whole thing. And he was washing his hands next to me, and he didn't notice me. And suddenly, he looked up at me and saw that I was a Gentile. And he literally did this. <laughs> And I noticed there was a jug at each tap. And I noticed that he wouldn't touch the tap. He took the jug. Because Gentiles didn't know this and they touched the taps. He doesn't want to touch a tap that a Gentile touches because I'll make him unclean if he touches the same tap. So he washes his hands with the jug, looking at me in horror like, and walks out like this, past me, and walks out. To the Jew, I'm unholy because I'm a Gentile. I'm not part of the saved. But he doesn't understand that actually he's the one who's unclean. Because God hasn't written the law into his heart yet. I'm the one who's born again, born of the Holy Spirit. Peter, the question then is, you hung out with Gentiles? You ate with them in their home? And Peter says, let me just tell you they're saved. You know how I know they're saved? Because I saw dunamus. I saw the power of God. They began to speak in tongues and prophesy. And that's what happened to us when the Spirit came on us. And so Gentiles are beginning, get accepted, and now today, thank God for that moment, because, because of that moment, you and I can be included in what God is doing in His salvation. And, and we see, so norm, and I, the point is this, well, they were hearing preaching, no one is praying for them, and they got filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just comes when you're just listening to somebody, to, or maybe you're reading it, the Holy Spirit can come on you however He comes on you, but you'll know He came on you, you know how to know Dunamus. Somebody put a firecracker in your. You'll know. Does it make sense? Until there's that power, until something has happened, there's some evidence of something that's not you, but him, you, you, you're not saved. Then, in Acts 19, verse 6 and 7, Paul asks them, did you, did you receive the Holy Spirit? We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit when we believed. And then in verse 6, so when Paul laid his hand on them, and when I say saved, I'm talking about saved properly. Now this is how salvation is supposed to work. Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. They began, what happened? Something changed, and there was evidence of that. And I'm not saying you have to speak in tongues or prophesy. There can be other manifestations. But there must be some evidence that the Spirit of God has actually come upon you. Because I can tell you this. I've often thought, when God comes upon you, what does that feel like? So he is all-consuming power. Holds all things together by the power of his word. Okay, and that God 
by His Spirit, comes into you with power, dunamis. What do you think that's going to feel like? And I would, I would maybe just remind you that we do sort of know what power looks like because this hall's got plugs. Three there. And if I go stick my finger into 220 volts, I guarantee you, when that thing connects with me, there will be some evidence I will, I'll know something happened. Would you agree with me? I will know. This is now not, this is not a faith. This is like I know something happened. My countenance changes. My hair changed. My <laughs> you guys could try it out. If the God of the universe, by His Spirit, comes and fills you, do you think you're going to be standing normal going, hmm, no, it's a gospel of power, of a changed life. And I know not all of you did drugs like I did. And I know not all of you had demons cast out of you like I did. But I can tell you this. Even Nicodemus, the, probably one of the most righteous men in Israel, needed to have this encounter with the power and the presence of God. And there'll be some evidence of signs, mirac miraculous signs. I mean, how many of you have driven demons out? Because that's something that... Jesus said believers would do. They'll drive out demons. They'll, they'll pray for the sick. They'll get well. There'll be demonstrations of power. These are the gifts that flow from that spirit that's now moved in you. And he's writing things into your heart. And again, salvation, so the fullness of salvation isn't just that I believe. It isn't just that even I've had, it is partly that God writes his law into my heart, which means I start to love what he loves and hate what he hates. That's, and then it's, and then it's that he starts to give me power to do what he wants me to do. Because God wants me transformed into his image and into his likeness. And so in closing, Paul plays his hands on them and they receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 8 verse 14 to 17, we read about a guy called Philip who goes to a, a, a town in Samaria. And this is, I'm finishing with the scripture. And he preaches to the town, and the whole town believes and turns around. And then the apostles go to that same town. And they ask the town the same story. Did you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Let's read it. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For they had not yet for he had not yet fallen on any of them. Do you get that this whole town is believing in Jesus? But the Holy Spirit has not yet fallen on any of them. They believe. That's a work of the Spirit already. But the Holy Spirit has not yet fallen on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. These people have even been through the waters of baptism. But they haven't been filled with the Spirit yet. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit, and there was power demonstrated immediately, some form of power. The gospel is a gospel of power. It's a, gospel, it's a, it's a power of God, not just to tell you how to live, but it's a power of God to actually come into you and bring salvation into the fabric of your being. So the question is this, 
did you receive the Spirit when you believed? Because without the Holy Spirit's help, in some ways it's a bit like, um, here's the law, good luck. Israel tried that for uh, 1,500 years, and it didn't work out so well for them. In fact, the Bible says the sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit of God, which means you should know the Holy Spirit intimately. You should be hearing His voice. You should be convicting you of sin. When last were you convicted of sin? Conviction is not your wife shouting at you because you didn't listen to when you were supposed to change the light bulb and you said you would and you didn't. That's not conviction. Conviction is when you come into the presence of God by grace and you see Him and by the Spirit He shows you you and you go, dear God, make me like you. Conviction is, thanks, thanks, Jim. And then it's the Spirit leading you and guiding you into righteousness, hearing His voice, giving you gifts to be able to do things for others, giving you a love that's beyond yourself. It's the power of God unto salvation. And I know this, if Jesus came to die to save us, then God is pretty passionate about how desperate He was for you. And for me to be saved. God wants us to share in his nature. Not just to have a form, but to actually live in him and he in us. That we would become temples of the living God. That's what the Bible would actually call us. In him we would live and move and have our being. Christ in me will be the hope of glory. And so what I want to do is I want to pray with you. Because like them, the question I have is, have you encountered God this way? Do you know God in power? When last did you hear His voice? And I'm not, I mean, hearing His voice can be many ways. I have actually heard His voice before. But sometimes I hear His voice simply when I, I hear preaching and I'm convicted. Sometimes I hear His voice when I read my Bible and I'm convicted. Sometimes I hear His voice. I heard His voice actually when my daughter was leading worship. Because I felt the Lord actually took me back in a moment and showed me a young man holding up to him and saying, Lord, she's yours. And the Lord spoke to me in that moment and said, you see what I've done in her as you gave it to me. I know my God, I hear his voice. I hate sin now. I used to love sin. I mean, sin is awesome. It is. Why do we sin? It's awesome. It's lacquer. But now I don't like it anymore because God has written his law into my heart. I, am, I, am I still attracted to do things that I, I shouldn't do, yeah, but I'm more attracted to Him. Because God has written His Word into the fabric of my heart and into my mind. I'm born again, not of perishable seed, but I'm born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. My righteousness is His righteousness now, as He works in me and, and works through me to bring His glory. And you know how you probably saved it's because you start to live for His glory, not for your own anymore. You're no longer your own, the Bible says. You were bought at a price. No longer live for yourself. Live for Him. One of the deep priority changes is I no longer live to get old and have grandkids and die. I live to advance the kingdom of my God. That the world will see what He's like. 
that I'll see disciples all over the world, everywhere I go, because Christ is living in me by His Spirit. So I want to pray with you. Because I actually believe right now that there's some of us that maybe, maybe just close eyes with me.